Well, howdy. Oh, these are like cool, what great acoustics. This is pretty awesome. Okay, so um, we're going to talk about some stuff uh, today. And we're talking that that stuff is going to be about risk. And I want to point out a couple things. At the heart of Lean Startup, is Lean Startup is really a language game. I want you to consider that. That what you're really doing when you introduce these things is you're introducing new conversations that cause a different selection of information to be prioritized and ultimately different behavior. And I really liked, in Dan Milstein's uh, talk yesterday morning, he mentioned that leaders are responsible for their questions. And that's a really powerful place to operate from. And what I want to add, you know, I, in my, with Celerity, I work with a whole range of companies for many, many years of uh, accelerating product development. And we find that one thing that it takes with being responsible with your questions is to be rigorous in requiring the answers. And that takes a little courage. But if you can create the community uh, where people are comfortable uh, being rigorous with each other, then not only can you shift behavior, but people actually begin to have fun, i.e. even this poor little mouse up here. And the extension of the language game of the startup that we're going to talk about today are particular language games on risk and commitment and how they're intimately related. And uh, why don't we get started? Well, why we want to do this is because of this curve. All right. Like all good x-axes, this is time, y-axes, cost of making a change. And of course, we are in this world, or left to our own devices, we wind up making a lot of changes late in your projects, and your products, and your companies. Has, has anyone been here before? Is, is anyone there now? All right. So, with fancy PowerPoint animation, we can show where you want to go, maybe. Ta-da! Right. The whole point of Lean Startup, and frankly, any good, solid practices, best known practices on product development, is about forcing risks up front. Force those changes up front where it's cheaper to deal with them. And that's what we're going to be focused on in this conversation. So, this is a bird with a problem, right? What's, what's the bird's problem? Ah, well, you know, at first sake, it thinks it has a worm problem to begin with, right? Well, how testing your assumptions. <laughs> Turns out that it's not a worm problem, <laughs> right? It thought it was the problem of getting something out of the ground. It actually is the problem of how it does not uh, find itself as breakfast. This, this is one of my favorite illustrations. I've been milking it for years. It's really wonderful. It was in a Harper's Bazaar magazine on the financial crisis in 2008. Because what we're going to, what the tools I'm going to talk about are how to leverage your team, particularly your cross-functional team, to cause hidden risks to be made transparent. Right. So why doesn't it happen? Well, this is also one of my favorite. Right. The, the title of this photo is Meerkat Divorce. Because how do teams talk about risks? Well, in one case they don't. Right. Here they. And why not? Well, it's 
classic human behavior. Unfortunately, we don't need to solve this, but it is because people don't want to look bad, right? I don't want to talk about something that's going wrong in my area, because I, you know, then you'll think I'm not good, right? And I certainly don't want to be critical and talk about something in someone else's area, because then they won't like me, and even, God forbid, they may talk about an area, a problem in my area, etc. Everyone wants to be a team player, don't want to lower morale, uh, and they don't want to come up with problems that are really expensive, right? There was that talk yesterday, and if the A-B test is not giving you what you want, then we should just stop doing A-B tests, right? So this is a dynamic of people, given an opportunity, will often be good soldiers and not talk about their risks. Then there's the other thing, right? And I want you to notice, so this is risk is complaint. Right? So you've got one little bird, you know, happy to tell you all the things that are wrong. And this is the other thing. The other bird is perfectly happy to not say a thing. Right? And both are causing problems with this. People complain because they like to look good and be right. Deflect blame, otherwise known as, you know, I turn. You know, when we fail, I can say, I told you all the reasons we were going to fail, so I'm covered. And frankly, and this is something you want to find compassion for your teams, um, they're actually trying to help, right? A lot of that whining and complaining or that occurs to you is that at the water cooler is actually people, they want to raise issues. Now, let's give them some tools and you as leaders, some tools that you can use to actually cause these things to become even better. Because this is some of the language that can undermine risk conversations. Nothing we can do about it. It's not my job. They'll never change. No one wants to hear it. Risks are all surprises. They'll take this criticism, and I'm doing everything I can anyway. Has anyone ever heard this? Okay, has anyone ever said this? This week. <laughs> and again, it's the natural, ordinary conversation, which is, you know, I want to get back to this point of, Introducing rigor to language is one of your key leverage points in changing how your teams operate. So let's talk about how we can just sidestep this and shift the nature of the conversation. Because the whole point about talking about risks is to cause action. It is not about to uncover the truth or, you know, communicate concerns, etc. It is the interesting risk conversations, the interesting risk lists and risk structures are because they increase the likelihood of action. That's the end game. And here's how language can help you. So some quick tools on this. Now you're already, if you're playing with lean, you have experience engineering language, right? MVP. This invented term, now all of a sudden because people can yell that at each other, you actually can make, uh, uh, define an MVP. The same thing with pivot, right? You know, 10 years ago there was a different word for it, but the fact that you're using language, um, a unified language of pivot, you can actually discuss, should we pivot? Well, I want to consider that you can engineer your language around risks and get better results. Before we talk about risks, we have to talk about commitment. And I want you to consider something. Often how we talk about commitment, we kind of use this lazy, flabby way that we use commitment, which can look like this. Sue asks Roshan, will you get me the report on Monday? 
Roshan says, sure. Monday comes along, Sue bumps into Roshan, do you have the report? And Roshan says, oh, God, I needed some numbers from Bill, and he had to fly to Asia, uh, and so I don't have it. And you know, Sue says, oh, that's a bummer. Well, when can you have it? Well, you know, he's coming back uh, tomorrow, uh, Wednesday. I'll have it for you Wednesday. And everyone says, okay, Wednesday, all right. Has anyone ever had that conversation? Right, okay. So I want you to consider that that conversation about getting the report, that's what I'm gonna call the ordinary use of the term commitment, okay? It is uh, commitment as defined as I will do my best, I will try really hard, I will absolutely positively get it done assuming all the dependencies work out. Now there's an opportunity to upgrade that. Because at the moment that Roshan's making that promise to get the report, there's this. What is this? Well, this is Roshan's little voice. What is Roshan's little voice saying? I need numbers from Bill. But when the game is well-meaning, sure, I'll get it for you, no problem, and, you know, you've got high-powered teams and everyone's excited, and I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about all the things I'm concerned about. Okay, that stays in the background. Roshan makes the, the promise, and then you get the outcome that you, you, uh, uh, you got it. So, if we now turn up the language a bit, where commitment is something that I will define as it will be so. You can bet the business on it. We're not playing a game of target dates, we're talking committed dates, right? And it, you know, this is, you literally have to take a minute and introduce yourself to the team. Because one of the things, if you're now upgrading commitment to it will be so, a couple things you want to keep in mind, right? If there's no room for a no, then a yes is meaningless. Right? But we want to use this because now if Roshan and Sue are playing this different commitment game and Sue asks the question, Roshan might say something different. Well, he may just say yes, and then as soon as Sue walks away, he pulls out his iPhone and immediately gets in touch with Bill. I just made a, I got to get a report to Sue. Can you send me the numbers, etc.? As opposed to, you know, the normal way of waiting until Monday morning to get in touch with Bill and discovering he's in Asia. Or you get this other uh, dynamic, uh, uh, Roshan may say no. Okay. And Sue's like, oh. And what will Sue often say? What will she often say in the face of a no? Why not? <laughs> now I want you to consider that no, or Roshan comes back and may come back and may make a counter offer of not Monday, but how about Tuesday, Tuesday afternoon? taking into account Getting that counter offer, getting that no, where we're standing here on Thursday afternoon, we have more options to get into action to mitigate this risk than we will if when we all get together on Monday and we get the outcome. And this is the dynamic that actually you want to create, that if Bill's going to say, excuse me, if Roshan's going to say yes, it's a, it will be so, and Sue doesn't have spend all their time wondering, well, I wonder when Roshan will really get it to me. 
or you force the conversation because what is Roshan vo voicing if he starts talking about Bill? He's talking about a risk. And this is the relationship. If we could patent one thing in our work, it would be this relationship between upgraded conversations for commitment and proactive risk identification. So we'll level set on commitment here. And now let's introduce a better language for voicing risks. All right. So. If I said to you, I'm afraid I may get into a car accident on my way home, you might say to me, uh, take a taxi. Or what would you say to me? Come on, take the bus. Why? All right, stay in the hotel. But if I said to you, the tires on my car are balding, so I'm afraid I may get into a car accident. What might you say to me? Get new, Get new tires. I want to propose that the second articulation of the risk is more interesting than the first. Why? Because it increases the likelihood and for opportunities of action. Right? It becomes obvious. And what I have done there is actually, I have, with just a few extra words, I have given you my inner logic, what my assumptions are around why I'm concerned about the future. And this has uh, two powerful effects. So I just mentioned it's about increasing the, the opportunity for mitigation because it's obvious, get new tires. But the other thing is, when you have a group and they use this language game, which we'll, I'll, I'll name in a minute as cause-effect impact, and they articulate their cause, by revealing their logic, you actually decrease the drama level when people are talking. So it's no longer, I'm worried the market's going to be too small, or the design will never work, and then the people worried about picking the market all of a sudden get like this, and the people doing the design are like, I can't believe they said that, but if it is, uh, we've never launched a market, and we have no experience in this market, and so I'm afraid it may be too small, or we're using a brand new software platform, uh, and so I'm afraid the design will not work. You may actually get agreement on the, uh, on the cause. Like, it's true, we, we have never launched in this market. And so this actually increases the facility of uh, team members to talk about risk. And the structure of the conversations, a very simple one looks like this. Cause, it's a specific fact, effect, the possible stochastic outcome, it hasn't happened yet that you're worried about, and the impact is why it will impact, have a commercial result. Now, human beings in risk conversations, we almost always go to the effect, right? The design won't work, okay? We're gonna be late, the customer won't like it. Bringing back to this being owning your questions with rigor involves requiring that what's the cause. And if you align a team on using this structure and holding themselves accountable, you will get a lot more information and a lot more opportunities for action uh, much faster. And you will also build a muscle among team members to be able to talk about risks with relatively low drama. So this is the structure of the conversation. And 
It's something that can be introduced on day one. You know, poll your team, because actually this is a key, key thing. We need to ritualize this. So it becomes how you talk about risks. If someone is complaining or concerned about something at the water cooler, it's, hey, have you submitted as a risk in cause-effect impact? Here we go. This ritualizing, creating a routine, you need to start talking about risks and commitment on uh, the first day in the hallway conversations. You don't want to wait to have real conversations about commitment on that first big milestone. You need to start with the day-to-day -day, uh, commitments that you're making to each other. Then you've set the foundation when you're coming up with the big glorious deliverables. And it just becomes how your team operates. All right, the game I want you to use with cost-effective impact, or I propose, is at your weekly meetings, literally poll what's the most likely reason you think the project will fail in cost-effective impact. And in real time, have your, have your team members voice it. They should come to the meeting prepared, I recommend it. No conversation, you're just creating the normal uh, uh, nature of, of this discussion that we talk about why we're going to fail. The first two times you do this with a team, they're deers in the headlights. By the third time, there's no going back. They love it because it has opened up all sorts of opportunities for action. A key thing with this is everyone plays. It's not, does anyone have any risks? Or let's hear from the design team about their risks. It's everyone gets to say what they think the biggest risk is. It could be in their area. It could be in someone else's area. And when, every, when that's the, the price of membership in the team, it becomes normal and becomes a leverageable advantage of that team. All right, you as leaders, you're going to say how your team plays, right? So it takes this, you're going to have to bring it with rigor in the same way that, hey, you know, we define MVP, we talk about assumptions, we do A-B testing, okay, we're data-driven. What makes that real is not we all read the book, it's that it gets applied with rigor in the leverageable places, right? That's what will make the difference here. All right. The key thing is the definitions with rigor of commitment and risk, making those conversations mandatory, practicing it early. And remember, the whole context is leverage the diversity of perspectives on your teams so that you have an opportunity to mitigate these risks up front where it's cheap. All right, and there we go. Uh, thank you so much. And let me take one or two questions. Yes, please. Uh, how do you get it will be so definition with commitment from development teams where you have inherent risk? Great. Uh, so the question was, how do you get them from development teams when they're all, well, you know, as Tracy Kidder said it, what uh, engineering teams want to say, what's the last day by, by which we can't prove we won't be finished? <laughs> What's critical here is you start with the measurable deliverable, 
that is in a period of time that is workable. So you cannot, you know, it's, it's inappropriate at the heart of Lean Startup. You can't say where you're going to be in 18 months, but where you're going to be in two weeks and start playing with what is the two-week commitment that is interesting, and if, if your teams are concerned, use that to flesh out what the risks are. That's the relationship. By putting in that constraint, a number of the talks today have talked about the power of giving your teams constraints. So if you're using things like Agile, it's like, what will be there at the end of this one sprint? Look, if we can't, if we can't even make a promise a week away, then we want to look at how we're operating. That may be its own risk. So that's how this gets, in, it, that gets into play. Um, so specificity and short duration so that you can test how good you are at making commitments and keeping them. One quick, oh, back there? Um, I'll even put on my glasses for you. Oh. <laughs> how, how do you kind of uh, use your cause-effect impact model with working with clients? Oh! And, and communicating risk and, and all, all this. Well, so are you looking at soliciting it from clients? Um, yeah, like having a, an open discussion. Great. Yeah. So, this is a language game. In the same way you could walk into your clients and you can talk about an MVP, MVP, you might literally use that language, or you need to, there are areas where you don't want to use jargon. If you want to use cause-effect impact, the short answer is you can explain, like, we want to hear what's the existing thing that has you worried about it. The dynamic behind the five whys that, of course, you talk about in Lean Startup and is very powerful, it's the same thing. You know, the simplest way to de-jargon it, if you need to do it with a client, is I understand you're concerned about the future. What's going on right now that has you concerned? Right? And have them ask them to answer that question. That is gets you on the road toward distinguishing the cause. Is there one other question? Yes? What do you do to make it less confrontational when you're starting this? Well, you have a smile on your face and a song in your heart. <laughs> it, it's literally, so you keep a sense of humor. Uh, um, get that, they're your team, we want to make this successful, and one of the ways we're going to do this, and this may be the counterintuitive in the moment, is we're going to talk about all the reasons we could fail so that we can get ahead of that curve. And if, if you get people to buy into that, and teams will buy into that, then you just start it going. What's your biggest concern? Right? And uh, if everyone plays, then people get, well, that's what we do. It's not just we're hearing risks from one corner. Everyone's job is to talk about how you want to, uh, uh, how this program's going to fail. And you do it often, uh, early and often. And that becomes how you play. You want to assume, frankly, uh, the cultural dynamic that takes root is that teams operate like they have yet to uncover the biggest risk, right? Look at all these great assumptions and all these experiments we've run. We want to assume we haven't even hit upon the real experiment. Okay? And that's how it, it, it dovetails into this game. 